You are now listening to the Verify Phenoms podcast. In this show, we speak with individuals who have come from all walks of life and have overcome the mental limitations of imposter syndrome, perfectionism, and overthinking. Get your notebook ready and stay tuned to learn how you can win your mental battles and become a verifying phenom as well. In the season, talking to amazing people that have amazing results, amazing success, and that are always overcoming the challenges that life brings. Today, we have with us Fitz Kohler. She is the voice of the OC Marathon, Buffalo Marathon, Big Sur Marathon, and many more. She has appeared on many national media outlets and has performed as a speaker and a spokesperson for corporations like Disney, Oakley, Tropicana, and Office Depot. In 2019, Fitz was diagnosed with breast cancer, and her healthy and athletic body was brutalized by 15 months of chemotherapy, radiation, and surgeries. Instead of shutting down, she turned up the volume on her career. She also strategically orchestrated her own healthy cancer comeback from six scrawny and weak to a Boston Marathon finisher, and now she has also recently released her first memoir in 2020. Fitz, happy Wednesday. Good evening to you, as we were just saying. How are you doing? I am a spectacular phenom. Thank you so much for having me on your show. And I get, I'm so happy to look at your perfect teeth that <laughs> your orthodontic, uh, orthodontist pitched in on. You have a beautiful smile. Thank you. I appreciate that. And shout out to the orthodontist always. We <laughs> don't know where I'll be without it. <laughs> so uh, it's going to be an amazing conversation today. I already know, like we were just talking about, but I do have some rapid fire questions for you. Let's go. And I'm just going to ask them. I just want the first thing that comes to your mind. No second thoughts. All right. I mm-hmm. think you appreciate these questions. All right. First one. What is your favorite distance to run and why? 5K because it's short and short. All right. <laughs> What do you prefer, running on trails or roads? Trails. How many pair of running shoes do you own? 20 because I get them for free at the races I announce. People just keep giving me running shoes. Wow. Almost <laughs> yeah. one for every day of the month. Yeah. How do you stay motivated on tough training days? I love being fit. I love having a fit body after losing so much weight. I am so motivated to have nice, hard, curvy muscles again. So, yeah, I just want more. I want better for myself. So that's why I keep going. Morning runs or evening runs? Evening. I'd rather sleep in. I hear that. Uh, Favorite pre-race snack or meal? Pre-race is always a one half of a bagel with cream cheese, a little bit of carbs, a little bit of protein, not too much. Have you ever experienced runner's high? Runner's high? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Every time, and especially when I'm running in the rain, it makes me feel like I'm five and it's so fun. Great. And lastly, what's the most beautiful place you've ever had a run? Most beautiful place I've ever had a run. At home in Florida, I think. Just Florida. My trails are the best trails. Mm. Mm. Okay. I need to make a trip to Florida. I used to be a cross-country runner when I was in college and definitely ran some trails around here. 
but it's been a minute. It's been a minute. I, I fractured my leg when I was Yikes. in college running, and it's been so hard to get back in this running. But okay. Where did you run? What college? North Carolina Central University. Okay. Okay. And what was your mascot? That's very important to know. <laughs> really? Why? Because I'm a gator. I don't know. I'm a mascot person. Well, we were eagles. So if we landed, we would probably get eaten up by a gator. So. Ha-ha, yeah. <laughs> Go eagles. <laughs> oh, man. I have to give it to you and every single person that does a marathon. The reason why, so one day of practice, we showed up. It was a 6 a.m. practice. I'm definitely with you to see and my coach was like, we have a half marathon. And the most we ever typically did was around 10 miles for our runs. And that extra 5K, that extra three miles, oh my gosh, Jason, my whole soul, it was hurt. It was hurt. It was hurt. But we got it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, running can hurt. Yeah, it can feel really good. Get that runner's high. And then sometimes you just think, oh, God almighty, what am I doing here? But the benefits are pretty spectacular. I'm very fortunate that since I left high school, all the running I've done has been voluntary. I haven't had anyone make me do anything. Now, I've made myself like a bozo signing up for these long distance races. But you know what I really enjoy is obstacle course racing. I think OCRs are way fun. And, you know, I do a lot of running, but I also do a lot of walking. I think the OCRs for me are just about the obstacles and Mm -hmm. the walking run breaks in between them are just extra exercise. I love it though. Have you ever done one of the Spartan races before? Yeah, many, many. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I was just talking to my fiance about that maybe like two weeks ago. Okay. We keep seeing them. We're like, do. Yeah, so they are very fun and I think they're more intimidating than people should feel like they are. There's mm-hmm. they will challenge you, but you know, if you can't do something, you can just go around the obstacle. You know, if you're like, oh my shoulder's no good, okay, well then avoid the hanging exercises. It's fine. No one's gonna smack you or spank you or send you to your room. You just walk past an obstacle if you can't do it. Uh I think they're great. I actually travel for obstacle course races. So I've done Spartan in Montana. Wow. I've done Spartan, uh, Tough Mudder in the Poconos in Pennsylvania. I'm trying to think. I've done a bunch in Florida. Tough Mudder is the fun one. So if you and your wife or fiance, if you guys go do one together, look for the Tough Mudder brand. It's a lot more playful and the obstacles are still challenging, but I don't know. It's just, I, I, I think that one is rip roaring fun. It's a good time. Okay. Definitely noted. Speaking of obstacles, though, you know, we all have some sort of obstacle in life. In your background right now, for those that cannot see, uh, it says fitness. Is That's your business, correct? Fitness, yeah, with a Z in the middle, yeah. Okay. How did that come about? So it was interesting. I had been teaching fitness since I was 14, and I... You know, I loved what I was doing. I loved connecting with people. I loved fitness. I truly believed in it, but I couldn't figure out a way to make a a career out of it. So there's a job and then there's a profession. And so a job is something you do for an hourly rate to get by. And a profession is something where you're going to invest your 
life, your, your everything into, right? And so I knew that I wasn't going to be able to accomplish what I wanted in life out of working at a gym, teaching classes, being a personal trainer. You just can't, you can't make enough of a living to pay for a house, pay for cars, take your kids on vacation. Uh, so I just thought, well, maybe I can't do fitness as a profession. And finally, I figured it out. I, I started uh, teaching on a television show. I was cast as an instructor for a TV show called Cardio Jam right after my sophomore year of college. And I learned two things then that my skills were transferable from live audience to t television. And it's not the same. You know, teaching to a camera is way different than teaching to a live audience, but I did have transferable skills. And then the other thing that I learned at that point was that strangers, strangers would approach me and they would say, Fitz, are you Fitz? And they'd say, yeah. And they'd say, I love your show and you're my favorite instructor and I've lost 17 pounds and blah, blah, blah. And I was so blown away by helping strangers. The fact that these are people I've never met yet. I helped them get rid of their back pain or whatever. I was, mm -hmm. I was just, uh, I was fascinated and uh, I started writing articles and I, again, I'd have people send me letters from around the country saying, you helped me do X, Y, Z. And so when I fell in love with mass media, that's where the light bulb went off. And I thought, you know what? I can make a living teaching fitness on a massive scale. So all of the work I do is TV, radio, books, magazines, keynote presentations. It's either on a microphone or in a published uh, media format. And when I was about 20, I was trying to think of a name for a project and just kept twirling around in my head. And then finally, finally, I realized that fits fit into fitness beautifully. And I had a friend of mine who was an attorney and he said, you need to incorporate, even as a personal trainer, if someone gets hurt under your care, they can sue you. But if you have a corporation, they sue the corporation and you get to keep your home or your car or whatever. So uh, I incorporated as not only Fitness, but Fitness International, because the international made me sound like I was bigger than I was. And I soon after filed for a trademark. Uh, trademark is not a, it, you know what? It's not super easy, but it's also not terribly hard. It just took time and a few phone calls to the U.S. Patent and Trade Office. And so, yeah, Fitness was born in, I think, uh, like 1998. Maybe earlier. I have, I have so many questions for you. So many. Oh, this is going to be great. First, the first thing. So it sounds like you were the popular Peloton instructor way before Peloton was. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Now, you're in college, landing a fitness instructional role on television. What was your first reaction when you got that call, email, like, hey, Fitz, like, we want you? <laughs> well, they had an audition. So I had actually just taught fitness on a cruise ship in Europe. So I had a big summer teaching in Russia and all these places. And when I came back, I don't even remember where I saw the advertisement. It must have been on paper in a newspaper. I don't know. But I went to a casting call. And when I, uh, when I got the job and I felt kind of cocky about it cause I'm a great instructor. You know, I, I know where I stand in this world. I'm not the most beautiful. I'm not the most stylish. I'm not the most, I don't have a good voice for singing, but when it comes to fitness, I'm really good. Like that's my talent. So 
I felt like, ah, they're probably going to choose me. And they did. And I was, I was elated. I was super excited about it. Just another opportunity to do this thing that I love to do. And I was one of a handful of instructors. I think there was four of us or five and we would take turns, but uh, it was great. It was really a cool experience. And, And you're right to be 20 with a TV show. And it gave me massive cred on campus. So I was a gator and which at that time was considered, we were, we were the number one party school in the country. So we were having lots of fun. So when the TV fitness lady showed up, I got lots of free beer and, (laughs) um, and then that credential really helped me build a bunch of other uh, projects after, because I had this, this cred from being the TV lady. Even though you already had so much confidence in yourself, was there ever a moment, because this is like your first time stepping on television, that you were like, mm, maybe I shouldn't be doing this, or maybe the network's too big for what I do? Like, what, what was your thought process around that as you continue yeah. to in this role? To be honest with you, I'm a girl who had a bunch of insecurities. I was, I was a bit overweight as a teenager. I had an eating disorder. I, you know, I questioned a lot of things about me. When it came to fitness and teaching fitness, I never questioned anything. Yeah, possibly too cocky. So what something else that you said when you were uh, originally talking about this that also sparked the thought in my head, you said teaching on, you said teaching in person was different from teaching on, in, on TV, right? Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. What is the difference for people that may not understand? So the difference is huge. And it's the same thing when I work in television now versus a live audience is when you're working with a live audience, you get that instant feedback. You get smiles, you get laughter, you get oohs and ahs and head nodding. And your that response triggers your my next move, right? And But with a TV, you don't get any of that. So basically talking to you out into space, assuming you're nodding your head or smiling or- <laughs> doing okay. So there's a lot of assumptions to be made when you're instructing via a television or, you know, radio. So yeah, I just kind of went with it. In my mind, you were sitting in front of your television doing what I was telling you to do. And I was saying, great job, you know, so it's, it's a little weird, but it worked. Oh, and then some people get totally phony when a camera goes on, they don't know how to maintain their natural self. Like this is how I talk, whether you and I are at the kitchen table or on a podcast or national television. And some people, they, they get onto a camera and they instantly talk like they're a flight attendant or I don't know, they just, they just change. And uh, that wasn't the case for me. That's hilarious. (laughs) So I can relate to you so well on that. So I am a digital marketing instructor, but online. Okay. And I'm constantly talking to my students. I probably have anywhere between 100 students that I'm teaching live every single day. Wow. And I have my, essentially like my pregame that I know I'm going to be talking about as I'm going throughout my lesson, my class, all things of that nature. And I have a couple of, uh, call them teacher assistants. And I always let them know that I'm going to talk about XYZ. But then like five minutes before the class enters, I'm like, I'm going to let you know. Everything I said, just put throw it out the window. I may not go with it for the exact reason that you just said. I go based on what I'm seeing, their reactions, how yeah. how they're feeling. Like, granted, it's virtual, right? So it's a little bit different 
Um, I don't get a chance to see a massive monitor of like 100 people, um, but I can see like a couple of heads nodding. I can see yeah. if one or two people look confused. So definitely, you know, agree with you. It's, it's very different to teach live. Um, it's very mm-hmm. different to speak live because you get a moment to feed off of the entire audience's energy. Now, well, I've got to ask you. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. You ask. I was about to say, I got to ask you, what did you really take from that first role being on TV? Uh, the skills that you were able to transfer for the rest of your career? Because it, it was a, a massive role. Like, what, what did you really take from it to make sure you're always implementing a certain skill or a certain lesson that you still use to the day? So I think uh, very transferable to other careers is do your homework up front, know what you're going to do, Come, show up prepared, right? So I showed up with the, the music I wanted to use or the routine I wanted to teach and some thoughts in my head about what I wanted to talk about. Because sometimes I think people get on a stage and they go to the same old, same old, same old. And I I just thought, okay, we're going to be talking about this or that today. So that was, that allowed me to be engaging. Um, But then those other important things is show up early, stay late, be the nicest person on the set, treat everybody with respect. I mean, the people I need most on race day or keynote speech day is the sound guy, right? The sound guy is my best friend, whoever he is. He's the one I love the most. So I, I think all those skills you learn with any job is, is be be the most awesome you can be. Be your authentic self, one hundred percent. So, go ahead. I, don't want to I was just going to say okay. your audio is a little bit low. Is it okay? What about now? Better. It's better. Okay. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Mm-hmm. I just didn't want to be all up in the camera because I, I wish I could just how close is it like. It's those perfect teeth. You get as close as you want. (laughs) Stop. Um, So you were also, as you were just saying, and we heard within your bio, you've been a spokesperson for, you know, many major companies. You've gotten a chance to speak in front of many people. And as a person that has done professional speaking, that's spoken in front of audiences, was also, I've I've done stuff in TV as well. I've I've been the reporter for for news, all things of that nature. It's different. It is different doing a stand-up report for the news. It's different teaching a class opposed to actually stepping on a stage speaking. Even, you know, you've been, you've been a performer, right, this entire time as a, a fitness instructor. But stepping on a stage speaking is different. Yeah. How was that transition for you for the first time you stepped on stage? So honestly, I started speaking when I was 15. I fell in love with fitness right away. And I thought, golly, if I could get people, convince people to take care of themselves, then uh, that would be really cool. So I instantly started volunteering. I would speak for youth groups, for Girl Scout troops, for high school classes, for small weight loss groups. So I had a lot of practice starting off on a very small scale to either young people who weren't very discriminating or very small groups that weren't intimidating. And, and I built it. So the thing that gives me the most peace to be a person that should be commanding a stage, a stage is my knowledge. 
And so I have spent so much time researching, practicing. I understand fitness so well. When when I step on a stage, and, and I talk about more than just fitness, I have various keynotes on community and health during hardship. And, you know, sometimes, many times it's a custom keynote designed to speak to a particular group. They say, we're having this issue. Can you come? And, you know, I always intertwine fitness, but I think it's expert knowledge of the subject that makes you the right fit, that gives you the confidence. I never step on a stage and feel like a fraud. Um, I just don't. I just don't. I feel like I understand what they want from me. I know who this audience is. I know what questions they have on their mind and I have solutions. So I can imagine if I hadn't done all of the work, starting with the baby steps, starting with the teeny groups and building, building, building that I might have a little apprehension on keynote day, but I wake up and I think, keynote day, <laughs> here we go. And when they say my name and I walk out on the stage, I'm like, yeah, here we are, let's talk. And I just, I, I, some people have a real fear or many people have a real fear of public speaking. I have a real fear of not public speaking. It would break my heart if nobody invited me to take a stage and talk to people. So, but it's been earned. It's been earned from, for many years, right? Yeah. Oh my goodness. I love this. I love this so much. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out which route I want to take. I have like two different routes that I want to take in my head. One you remind me a little bit of myself in my journey now, kind of that I'm on, because I also got into my career when I was 14. Oh, and wow. You don't hear that often because at 14, you're a freshman in high school, maybe mm-hmm. sophomore, maybe. And you're really just trying to figure yourself out. You know, you're hanging with the homegirls, the homeboys. You yeah. just get into whatever trouble it is. You know, you may have a little mall, mall job. Or you know, it is. Uh, for for myself, I ended up getting into broadcast at 14 years old. How? I'm still in broadcasting. Now, you said how? Yeah. So we had a company come to our class, and they offered us an internship to apply. And they said, you know, we'll come and teach you how to produce, direct, do the colors, audio. <laughs> And um, cameras, all that type of stuff. It's for a baseball team, um, all that. I said, mm, that's not how I want to spend my time. Uh, but then they kept talking. They said, we'll give you free food every single day. I said, free food? Exactly. Okay. <laughs> exactly. I said, sign me up. Where do I apply? So I ended up applying, did it. The first game, uh, broadcast went great. I felt like I was on Xbox Live because we also got headset you've been on tv studio mm-hmm. um, tv set so you know talking to everybody like i was just in like an xbox live party so cool i love the ability to be able to tell the story or have a say so in the story and from there i just i kept on growing you know I've, I've had the opportunity now to do espn shows um i'm really i've been loving podcasting because it's like another form of media um as you yeah. know it's just it's just a continuous in your uh, career that's growing but yeah i love that she started at 14 as well that's that's really cool yeah and and uh, the sidebar before that isn't the job i had before i started teaching fitness was cinnabon i was at the mall making cinnamon buns which is the really? direct opposite of helping people <laughs> get healthy 
but we all have to start. Before I did that, I was a birthday clown at the skating rink and I served the pizza and the cake. I led the hokey pokey, which is so funny because I am still kind of the leader of the hokey pokey. <laughs> no matter what I do, I'm still the birthday clown. And then when everybody left, I had to scrub the toilet bowls at the skating rink. So, you know, you got to you got to start somewhere. And I think the the rougher your start, the better uh, it feels where you finally get where you want to be. But uh, yeah, we're very fortunate that we fell in love with something early on. Some people just it takes a really long time and that's OK, too. Yeah, because um, like you said, it's OK. Now I was going to ask you. What advice would you give to somebody that's still trying to figure out what they love? I got very clear advice, and this is what helped me. So, you know, we we talk about me doing fitness since I was 14. And again, I didn't really know that I could make a living off of it. So I was trying to go elsewhere. My other great passion is my country. I'm a raging fan of freedom. I'm I'm a wild patriot. I love America. And I thought I would like to serve. And so for I don't know, a brief moment in high school, I thought perhaps I'll join the Marine Corps. I love America. And then I thought, oh, you coward, you won't stand in front of guns. So don't do that. And then I thought, well, I would like to serve, run for office, that if I became a public servant that way, then I could benefit the country. And Florida governor has always been on my agenda up until recently. I mean, politics are just too ugly lately, and I'm not suited for ugly And uh, I have so much power in the private sector and I'm doing good things. So that's fine by me. But I was going to go to law school because ignorantly, I thought you had to be a lawyer to be a politician. Nobody ever said, no, you can be a baker or unemployed as long as you're like not a felon, you can do this stuff. So I was going to go to law school and my very last semester of undergrad at UF, I was taking some sort of career planning class and the First thing we did, the teacher said, okay, I want everybody to make a top 10, two top 10 lists, one top 10 list of things you'd love to do just for fun, things you're passionate about. And then the top 10 list of things you hate, things you love, can't stand, write them down. And so my loathe list, and and then he says, okay, what career do you want? And does it correspond with your love list? And so I my love list on number one, (laughs) it's so nerdy, but it's true. My number one was sports and fitness. Number two was I love music. And number three was I loved helping people. Very cheesy, but true. And then on my loathe list were sitting down was number one. And number two was reading. And what do attorneys do all day? Sit and read, right? So then I look back at my love list and I thought, okay, I'm already doing what I love to do, how do I turn this into a career? And so that's when I just started saying, okay, well, the mass media thing seems to be my best chance for turning this into an actual career where I can make a real living and accomplish the things I wanted to. But yeah, so I would tell everybody, make that those two top 10 lists. And you know, if on the top two of your love list are cats and you love surfing, okay, you can be the first person on earth to create the cat surf camp. Someone will give you money for that, right? right. Just that's the American way. You create a service, you create a product to match your talents, your interests, or you go work for somebody else who has um, an opportunity in those fields. But yeah, you should, if you choose a career that you're passionate about, like Phenom and I, you will rarely work. You will look forward to every 
day that you get to go do your job. In fact, I sometimes pinch myself. I think I can't believe they're giving me money for this. This is silly. Why are they giving me money for this? We're going to get back to the show in just a second. But in the middle of your journey to create, innovate, and lead, you probably found yourself facing challenges of creative blocks or stuck in the cycle of overthinking. Here's the thing. You aren't the only one experiencing this. So why should you go through this journey alone? What if there was a community of like-minded individuals all striving towards success, ready to support, motivate, and hold you accountable? Well, I have the solution for you. A place where ambition meets action, where your dreams get a roadmap, and where every single stride gets celebrated. We're more than just an online community. We're a collective of creators, freelancers, and entrepreneurs who believe in the power of togetherness to overcome obstacles and achieve greatness. Joining this online private community means that you're not just setting your goals, but also taking decisive steps towards them. With a community ready to cheer you on with every step of the way, it's about consistent progress, shared learning, and the taste of achievement. If you're ready to elevate your journey, to transform your ambitions into achievements, and be part of a collective that believes, then achieves, visit VerifiedPhenom.com to take action today. That's VerifiedPhenom.com. I feel that so much because, right? oh my goodness, it's, it's hilarious. Um, <laughs> I, I found that I'm really good at teaching yeah. and breaking stuff down to people. I, I don't, I guess it just comes natural or maybe it's best part of in my head to go back to something. I had a question for you earlier, but it comes from being so knowledgeable about a subject that I'm really good at breaking it down into different perspectives that everybody could be able to figure out. One person doesn't understand it. I would change the whole thing I'm talking about to make sure that one person understands it. And whenever I see that check clear, I'm just like, I'm still being paid for this? Like, yeah. crazy. That's, you've chosen wisely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thankfully, thank God. Um, one thing you were talking about earlier, you know, about being a female speaker, Yes, that you built the confidence over, you know, the years by speaking in front of small groups to speaking in front yeah. of large corporations. And over time, you're like, okay, one person, 10 people, 100, 1,000. I, I, I work my up, way up to this. But it's the knowledge that you have, the expertise yeah. that really gives you that confidence to so step in front of those, you know, 1,000 people, hundreds of people in order to give your, your speech. But some people may not know that they have all the knowledge or expertise already inside of them. And maybe that's what's giving them like, imposter syndrome to be able to step onto that stage. In your, in your opinion, how do you know that you have enough knowledge or expertise on the subject matter in order to step onto any stage to give that value to someone? Well, that's a very good question. You know, A, I've got the credentials, right? I got the master's degree and so forth, but I think people can fake their way through through diplomas. Uh, I have done the research. I know what questions they have and I have answers. And on a rare occasion, someone will hire me to talk on a subject that's not particularly my own. Maybe they have something that comes out of left field. I will do the research and get exact answers from other people who have done actual research. So I talk about cancer a lot. 
And I do a lot of quoting of other people's actual studies. So, you know, it's the information age. We should be able to find content that's real. Know the difference between maybe you're getting some information from a cute TikToker and she's hot in her thong and she's like, this is a great diet. And Or you can go to an actual expert and look up the science behind certain things and, and uh, come away with much better information. You know, the other thing, and I, I know your audience doesn't just want to become a speaker, but I, the second you stand on a stage, people give you credit as being an authority on whatever you're speaking, right? Even if you're selling cars, if you're the guy in the front of the room talking, people are looking at you, you have this uh, authority that they, they're just bestowing on you. I think it would behoove everybody, whether you want to be a public speaker or not, join Toastmasters. I, I work with interns. I have four. And one of the things I desperately try to beat out of them is their use of the word like. I like, went to Miami like, and my family like, we went and had like, lunch like, really? Someone comes and applies for a job? Talking like that? There is no freaking way I am hiring them. In fact, I had, I, I started this effort many years ago. This young I had four interns, which is the max. I did not want five. And one of my interns, David, who's so nice, he said, uh, the, it, the semester had already begun. He said, my friend Marcus from the football team, Gator football team, uh, his internship fell through. He needs an internship. Would you be willing to take in another? In my mind, I thought, oh my gosh, I don't really have room for a fifth, but I also always have room for another Gator. So I said, well, have him call me. Normally I would do an in-person meeting or whatever, but he calls. And all I can hear is like, 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 we're on the phone for seven minutes. He must have peppered me with 300 likes. And all I could think was, holy cow, I cannot let this person graduate from the University of Florida and, and, and go out into the world speaking like an idiot, making us all look bad. And so I implemented this thing we do, this drill. My interns and I would get together. I did it yesterday with my interns that I have now for one minute. They have to tell me about something mundane. You tell me about your pet. Tell me about your best friend. Tell me about your favorite vacation, something that they are an expert on. So I don't give them a tricky topic. I say, just talk for 60 seconds about your favorite restaurant without using the word like. And so all of a sudden they have to slow down and they have to think. And sometimes it's abysmal on day one. I might go, and I give them the sound. I go with my voice. It's awful if they say like, and they're also nervous. But then eventually, it starts diminishing. They become more thoughtful in their speech pattern. And people use those words as likes and um and ah as fillers, kind of. They don't want to give away the floor. They're worried that if they stop making sound, if they stop vomiting noise, somebody else will talk instead. So it takes them back and they become more concise and decisive about what they're saying. Marcus graduated, a very sweet young man. I'm so glad I hired him. But about a year or so later, I ran into him and we just had this conversation. And he was the most eloquent person I run into in a week. And now he's a realtor with a family. He's so cute. And I just love him. And so that negative scale of like, 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 like is something anybody can overcome. And I think when people start listening to looking for it, watch The Bachelor for crying out loud, that ABC show. Oh my gosh, those people like, I like, like him, like, like, like. so uh, <laughs> pay attention. Mm -hmm. And then if you find you're someone who has a really bad speech pattern, if you have uh, 
something like that you say over and over, ask your people to pro- to call you out on it. So do the drill, the 60 second drill, and then make it a two minute drill. And then ask your parents, your roommate, whatever, to honk, buzz each other when you use those garbage words and make those garbage sounds. And eventually you'll becoming, you'll become someone who can talk yourself out of any situation. People will just believe you. I 100% agree with you on that. What I've had to do is exactly that is slow down. One, because I realized that I'm a very fast talker or I can be a very fast talker. And I had to get really comfortable with pausing in silence. And that's what so many people struggle with. It's the silence, as you were just saying. They find it awkward. I love silence on a stage. I love when I say something and then I just shut up. I'll give a good eight seconds and people and let something sink in. I think it is so powerful. They call it that pregnant pause. It is so powerful. So I weaponize silence. I think it's brilliant and more people should adopt that skill. It will truly You're a smart man. They, <laughs> they communicate with everybody. It helps, like you were saying, interviews. If you're working in sales, you know, trying to close a sale. If you're trying to give a presentation maybe to your colleagues. And of course, as we're talking right now, it could be for a podcast or somebody stepping on a stage. Now. One thing that you said that I definitely wanted to touch on is it helps to step on a stage because people automatically see you as like an expert matter, yeah. right? But something else that people do is write books. When you write a book, people also see you as an expert matter. And you've also written a book. So I did want to ask you about that entire process. I understand it's a memoir, but what did you go through writing that book? Because a lot of people will say, I want to write a book, but maybe they write a couple of chapters and they never get it out. They're like, "Mm, this isn't what I truly want to be. This isn't the story that I truly want to tell, even if it is about themselves. What's that internal process? So I've actually written four books. So uh, there's the Everything Flat Belly Cookbook. There's the memoir, My Noisy Cancer Comeback. There's Your Healthy Cancer Comeback, Sick to Strong, which is a guidebook for cancer patients and survivors to get well. And then there's the Healthy Cancer Comeback Journal. So, you know, my process starts with an idea. I'm a person I never, ever write unless I have something very specific to say. So I'm nonfiction, right? And for me, it's all, how do I get people to understand this? And how do I connect, get them to do better and be better? That's my mission. A lot of people say, I want to write a book. They just want to write a book, right? That's something everyone can do, write a book. And it's true. Everyone can write a book. But are you writing a book because you want to? Some people think, well, my grandpa was this really cool guy. Probably we're guessing nobody on earth wants to read about your grandpa, but you. And maybe your family. And so you could write a book and have it bound at a printer and share it with your family. Uh, there's, I mean, publishers are kind of mean. They will only accept your manuscript or, or hire you to write a book if 
you are already a successful author. So you've already published your work and they think, wow, a lot of people, you know, 20,000 books sold, we're going to give him another try. Or you're a famous person, you're a singer, an actor, you've been involved with some drama. Right now it's Gypsy Rose, right? That girl who killed her mom, everyone's all hyped up about Gypsy Rose. She probably could get a book deal big time right now. And what else? I don't know. It's yeah, fame, experience, and anyway, so there's some deep standards for getting published by someone else. They're probably oh, oh, and if you have an audience, that's right. So if you have 75,000 followers, maybe they believe 5,000 of them are going to buy your book and then it will make it a worthy investment. So you got to kind of think about those things for yourself. If you're going to put in all the effort to write a book, do you have a market? You know, who's going to read it? Do you have a marketing plan? Do you have a budget? Are you a talented writer? Some people are not talented writers and (laughs) they want to write a book. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're going to invest the time and money as a self-published author, you should have certain ducks in a row. Uh, It was a really long process. I, my first book came from a, a traditional publisher. I was hired to write that. They paid me well. And I, I mean, it took me three months. It was very fast that everything flat belly cookbook and uh, they took it and they marketed it and did very well. I never saw a penny after publishing because they paid me up front. So yay, I was satisfied with that. They paid me a lot of money up front and then hopefully they made a lot of money off it. <laughs> and then I had a, I had a kind of an ugly experience with them after and I decided I didn't want to be a part of that anymore. I wanted to self-publish. I wanted to control my message, control my timeline, control all the design elements and so forth. So, you know, book publishing is not child's play. You should bring in experts. Anyone who thinks I'm going to write the book and then I'm just going to edit it with Grammarly and I'm going to use Canva to create my cover. Good luck with that. People know if you're an amateur creating an amateur product and they're probably not going to buy it. So you want to invest in uh, not only the time to get your message out the way you want it, which takes a while. I wrote my book. I think, what did I have? I think I had like 160,000 words for the memoir. And then we trimmed it down. I think I got it down to 110,000 words. I mean, a lot of writing and rewriting and writing and rewriting hired professional editor, hired professional copy editor, copy layout designer, professional cover editors or cover designer. So many professionals involved, but I'm really proud of the outcomes. I'm going to give you a little peek. This is, this is the memoir. Look at me with that little hair. And then uh, these are the next two. These are the guidebook. And I wanted them fun and bright and cheery and action-packed. And they all are, but it's a it's a big deal project. It's a worthy effort, but you got to do it right, in my opinion. How many different, how many drafts did you go through? Let's just say for your first one. For Noisy? I mean, there had to be 100 rounds of editing. It was just constant, constant going back, rereading what I said, changing it. I had beta readers. I had friends who are talented, right? I, I say talented writers. These are very intelligent people who I've seen their writing. They're good with grammar. They, some of them read through my book for uh, mistakes, obvious ones. You have a comma here, you spelled that wrong or whatever. And then some people read it for content. 
I had a couple of race directors read the memoir. So the memoir talks about the collision between cancer and keynotes and race announcing and all this travel and all the wild, wacky things went on. So one of my race directors, she said, you know, 5K, all, the K is always capitalized. I didn't know that. I just didn't know that. In one of the uh, stories, I referenced Fled, Fred Flintstone with the loyal order of the water, water buffaloes but I called them something else. And so she came back. She was like, yeah, Fred Flintstone what, wasn't a buffalo. He was a water buffalo. And I was like, oh yeah. So, you know, there was content editing and then there was actual editing, editing, a lot of work. So at what point did it was, you realize it was ready to go? Uh, it took about a year between starting writing it and publishing it. And I mean, I guess I just had all these different elements to put it together. I, I, I can't tell you there was one time. I think once we had edited it to death, the professional editors had finally gone over it. And even with that, there's still four mistakes. It drives me crazy. Yeah. There's a, there's a period missing. There's a word missing. I, yeah. I don't, I don't know if there are any perfect books out there. I wish mine was, but it's got four mistakes. There are no, what, what, can you say that one more time, please? Uh, I have no four, four mistakes. I don't think there are any perfect books out there with no grammatical mistakes, but I wish mine was perfect. I wish it was perfect. I've, I mean, the mistakes are very silly and I don't know if people would notice them, but they might, someone might think, oh, she missed a period. I think that's really, really huge to hit on. Because say that again. I think that's really huge to hit on. Sorry, I leaned back for a little bit. Oh. Because if we think about it, let's just say if a book is two hundred pages, two hundred fifty pages, four mistakes to us as an author may seem like a lot. Yeah. But to the consumer, the reader, you may not notice it. And a lot of us, as we are creating different projects. We are on stage speaking, we are writing books, doing podcasts, starting a business, whatever it may be. Mistakes will be made, but it shouldn't stop the show from going on. And yes, they'll live out there, but it's the imperfection that makes art great, right? So if we're able to understand that, we won't hold on to the art that was inside of us. That is, it's going to be great to somebody else. I'm pretty sure there yeah. have been plenty of people that have read your books and they've come up to you just as they did when you were on the show, right? Yeah, yeah. And did anybody say yeah, about I mean, the mistakes, the four mistakes? No, I, no, nobody ever has. You are so right about that, and it's it's the overwhelming benefit of the books. Yeah, nobody was nobody said, "Hey, you missed a period." That's actually one of the things I love about live live television and live performances is the fact that I can make a mistake and just keep going, right? If I misspeak, I just say, whoops, and I say it over and go. If I'm doing a pre-recorded project, they say, oh, you said that wrong. Let's go back and redo. You could redo until you're blue in the face. But when it's a live live show, you just got to keep going. and hopefully your content and your engagement and your presentation and all of those things overwhelm your audience 
So they don't think about that one time you tripped over your words. Exactly. More than anything, it helps that the audience, they see you more as human. They see you yeah. as somebody that's relatable. Even within yeah. my lessons that I do with my students all the time, I mess up, I say the wrong thing. I clearly said the wrong thing when I was teaching earlier today. And I just said, I'm sorry, y'all, I'm a human. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> Nobody's perfect. But Fitz, I, I have one last question for you as we wrap up today. It's been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for your time today. One thing I always love to ask people is, what was success to you when you were first starting your career? And what is success to you today? Success to me meant connecting with mass amounts of people to help them live better and longer. And today it's the same exact thing. I, I haven't budged from my mission. I believe in it more than ever. And I love the connection with people more than ever. And, you know, so many people in various careers end up with plaques and trophies and they're the salesperson of the year or the nurse of the week or whatever. And for me, my greatest reward is always people who feel better about themselves. You know, they fit into those jeans or they don't have any more pain in their neck or they've accomplished some athletic adventure. And I just, I'm so addicted to that. And I'm truly obsessed with my people and I, I'm so rewarded by their joy and their effort. It's yeah, nothing's changed. I'm very fortunate. My career looks very different than it did many years ago, but the mission is still the same. That's beautiful. And lastly, how can people find you? How can they support you? Oh, well, thank you. So my home base for everything is fitness.com. If you're just listening, it's F-I-T-Z as in zebra, N-E-S-S.com. That's my home base for everything. There's free articles, free workouts. There's all sorts of advice that you can use right now to become more fit today. I also have my books for sale at fitness.com. Now the books are sold everywhere. Books are sold, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, but I prefer it when they come to me. Uh, any book that's bought off my site, I sign and I add a free gift with purchase and we ship it out beautifully wrapped because I want my readers to feel special. And so many of my books are purchased as gifts for someone they love, the buyer loves with cancer. So um, the Cancer Comeback 3-pack is quite popular. And I've got a course there, but I'm also at Fitness on social media, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, probably a few more places. And you know, if you follow, I promise quality content in return, but really what I prefer are new besties. So if you're going to take the time to follow, take a minute to say, hello there. I heard you on Phenom's podcast. And then we can we can hang out or whatever. I just I'd rather I'd rather actually connect with people, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that's right. Especially in this digital world, that's amazing. And Fitz, again, yeah. thank you so much. It's been a pleasure on this fine Wednesday evening. Uh, again, y'all, if you found some, I know you, I know you found some gems. There have been a lot of actual steps that she gave y'all to be able to walk away with today. So make sure. You don't just listen to it, but you also execute on it. Y'all, this has been another episode of Very Five Phenoms Podcast. And I will catch you all very, very soon. See ya. Bye.